so for example, um, as we, oh, we lost Mike there. Yes, he'll jump back on. But um, but for example, the um, the three things we we, you know, we're, we're here in John five and the middle, the second part of John five, which is starting in, and we kind of started in verse sixteen to eighteen, but that's kind of a transition um section to nineteen to twenty nine will be the the focus of the um, text today, but um. But we've worked through um, Nicodemus and the idea of being born again. We've worked through the Samaritan woman and the idea of if you knew who you was who was speaking to you, you would ask him for a drink and he'd give you a drink and you would never thirst again. We also worked through after that the disciples um, coming back after they had been looking for physical food. They come back and they're. They're, they're, they're inquiring with Jesus and Jesus tells them, I have a food, you know, nothing about. And they're perplexed. They're perplexed by that. Um, and so in teaching of those texts, it's, it's sort of easy because it separates between what is spiritual and what is physical. We know logically that, that Nicodemus is not, um, that, that Jesus is not telling him to go back in his mother's womb as a grown man. Um, we know that Jesus is, is digging into the heart of the Samaritan woman a little bit more to see a thirst that's greater than the regular thirst of this, this life. And he's also doing that with the disciples to think beyond just the things of this life and physical food, but to think about how, um, when he, when they do the will of God, how that is a spiritual food and it is rewarding. So if we ever have the privilege of leading a, a person to the Lord or are getting them connected with the Lord or having a bunch of people come to the Lord. Um, we can lose ourselves in such a way that physical hunger is not, is not even hardly a relevant thing that we just, we just, we can be starving and we get a part of that and we just, we, we don't care. Um, you know, I, I can remember, um, at times of being a part of churches, um, where, where the spirit of the Lord was moving in people's hearts in a mighty way, and um, I might have to go to the bathroom or I might be hungry or whatever, but it, it didn't matter because being in the presence of God was sufficient. Um, it just changes everything. And so um, in those three examples that we've went, went through, um, we, we see something very simple. But what we're seeing in this paragraph that we're dealing with today um, and how it interacts with the paragraph before and the paragraph after um, is a big is a bigger picture thing. Um, for instance, as we look at it, um, Jesus is going to talk about. Let me try to give you some simple things, and we'll we'll unpack it as we look at the text. But um, I was just reading in Romans six, and and one of the things that Paul is doing. Let me see where I'm at. Um, it's, it's Romans six twelve, and what Paul starts. Or it's it's a little bit it's Romans six like five and seven a little bit about one one through seven but Paul starts talking to these people his audience there and he says you have been buried with Christ that you have died with Christ well in physical terms they're not six feet under they're not buried they're actually breathing and living without dirt on their body right there with him and um and 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 then they um they're not dead. So what is this terminology? What is this thinking that he's saying you're buried? Um, and, and, and so 
he's talking about death, but what Jesus is fixing to talk about here in this text is eternal life and, and life and that there's life in him. Um, said, I lost my thought. What I was trying to say there is, um, but I apologize there. Let's get, let's get to the text. Cause I lost my thought. I do want to read, um, I want to read this first part again, since we didn't do it together last week. So I'm going to start off in 5-1. And I think this first line is important. The more I've studied this about the Feast of the Jews, and the thing that I'll just say about it at this point is as we pull close to this text and we um, and we ask ourselves, um, you know, what's the background? When we start to set the scene, we, we need to realize that uh, essentially three times a year, if not four times a year, just like the four seasons we have, they would have been prompted, the people of this day and age would have been prompted to go to Jerusalem. You know, Jesus, everybody Jesus was hanging around with, for the most part, was from Galilee. So the people of Galilee would have had a tradition that three to, three to four times a year, they would have went to Jerusalem and they would have had a festival. So this this whole chapter five, this whole scene that we're unpacking um, last week, this week, and and the and and next week um, is 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 fixated around after after this verse five one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, how, as I've been studying the book of John, big picture, you sometimes he clearly says. Um, like the the Passover, or he'll say the booth the booth of weeks, or uh, the feast of booth, or yeah, feast of booth. I think is what it says. But he'll tell he'll specifically say which one of the seven feasts it is, um, and and not but not all the time. But what that does, what I've studied, is it tells you some different things in the cycle over these feasts that that Jesus was um was getting at. Like Passover, there was a theme for Passover. Pentecost, there was a theme for, for Pentecost. And then the Day of Atonement and all that surrounds around that month, the seventh month, there was a theme for that. And so sometimes that gives us some context or background to what we're looking at. So in this case, we do not fully know, and I don't know that I've been able to discern which particular feast it was, but what we know as we as we back up a little bit is that um, he, if you go back to, I think it was 2.13, um, I'll read it real quick. Um, what we know just in the context of where we're at in the book of John, in, in 2.13 it says the Passover, uh, John 2.13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we know that that was the Passover, but as we follow it, in Jerusalem, he talks to Nicodemus, and as we continue to follow it, he goes out into the Judean, Judean, Judean wilderness, and then he goes and he interacts with the Samaritan on the way um, back to Galilee. And then, when we had the the healing that we, we've had, we out of the seven signs of Jesus, you have the water and the wine, and then you have the healing of the official son, and then you have this one that we're kind of going to read about again today but those are the first three signs but what happens is he went from samaria back to galilee and when he was in capernaum a guy from cana um asked or he was in cana and an official from capernaum asked for help there so 
we see that coming back. So when we look at this second healing of the book of John, he's going back to Jerusalem. And this, I, I guess the key thing of where we're at in the story here, and it's one of the reasons I like chapter five to eight, the section, is because this is probably some of the hottest, it's the initial and some of the hottest debate between the Jewish leaders and Jesus that he really gets them worked up here. So I'm going to kind of, um, to set our scene, I'm going to briefly um, just kind of read through and get our minds back on this first part of this, um, of chapter five. It says in five, one, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and the Jerusalem and, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse two. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up and why I'm going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked and, and walked. I want to say something real simple here, though, in the book of Hebrews, and I always love to hear um, Jeff DeLong talk about his, you know, how Hebrews impacted him and, and his thoughts that come to surface. But what he always would talk about is he said, like, Hebrews is constantly pointing us. Um, the Old Testament has a set of promises that have that come with it an expect, expectation that in the New Testament or when the Messiah comes, there will be a fulfillment of those promises. And so what Jeff always talks about in Hebrews is that 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 uh, how is it said the lesser and the greater, I think, is the way he says it. But there's a fulfillment um, that the book of Hebrews speaks about, and there's a fulfillment that we should see in the New Testament that is far superior to to the um, to the old. So, like one example would be like at Pentecost when you're studying these festivals at Pentecost, one of the fruits in the Old Testament in the Pentecost season in the summer was the giving of the law through Moses on Mount Sinai in the Ten Commandments. But what in that same period of time in the New Testament happened was the giving of the Holy Spirit um, in Acts 2. And so the relationship is that when God said, I'm going to lead these people and direct their paths, in the Old Testament, he gave them Ten Commandments. Um, that were written on stone. But in the New Testament, he gave them the Holy Spirit that gave them a new heart with new and right desires and wrote his law on their, on their heart, um, gave them power within. And that was far, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit was a far greater help to the believers than the giving of, of the law. Um, so this idea, the, the greater. So what I wanted to point about this text is he's asking him, so there's this system where these people, for whatever reason, are all hanging around this pool. And if the water gets stirred up, if they get in the water, they, for one reason or another, believe that they're going to get healed. I've assumed that that happened at some point in time. Um, that's why they were doing it. But the only hope for someone to be healed 
uh, and, and pretty much all of the community sick were hanging around this pool, worshiping this pool, hoping that if I if the water gets stirred and I get it, I'm going to get healed. Well, Jesus comes and back to the old and the new and the lesser and the greater. Jesus comes and says, enough of that nonsense. We don't need no water to be stirred. We don't need a team of people to, to you know, to help you get into the water. Just get up. And so it shows the power of his word, the word that spoke everything into existence can look you in the eye and tell you to get up and you're able to do that. And, and so from that transition, I, I thought about that and it's worth thinking about is what Jesus is doing is, is not just merely walk, working on the Sabbath or, or, or calling someone to work on the Sabbath. He's changing the glory of the Sabbath and he is doing a healing. And we'll see later on in this text where he says, um, he gives two examples. He says, if your sheep fell in a pit on the Sabbath, would you not get it out? And he says, the law was for someone to be circumcised uh, when a child is born to be circumcised on the eighth day. With that eighth, eighth day, if that fell on a Sabbath, they still circumcised him so that the law of Moses wasn't broken. And so Jesus is bringing this into reality. And at one point he said, why are you upset with me? You know, when he says that about the circumcision, he says, why, if, if you will circumcise someone on the Sabbath, um, so that the law of Moses is not broken, why are you upset with me for healing a whole man, you know, that, you know, on the, on the Sabbath. And so he brings that logic, but let me finish here in verse five. It says, now the day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your mat. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up the bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in this place. Um, one of the things I thought about just worth thinking just quickly is um, we know like in a library, if we were in a library and everybody was being quiet and trying to read and someone started talking loud, people would be greatly annoyed and offended. And I, I was thinking about this on every Sabbath. It would have been their custom in this day on every Sabbath. They would have come and they would have got rid of their their normal work activities their ordinary work activities. And they would have been praying. And, and at this point in time, they're essentially being occupied by a foreign nation, by the Roman government at this point in time. And so you got to think, um, there's a phrase here in our text we'll get to, but it's death to life. It's also in Romans, um, death to life. And, and, and when God's spirit works in us, he's bringing us from death to life. But when we get away from God, we're going from life to death. So as we look at the history of the Jewish nation, when you see them like, like under King David, we see them, they went from death to life. Or when they're leaving e Egypt, they're going from death to life or in and entering into the promised land. But when you see them go into exile and be taken by captivity and the temple being destroyed, you see life, life to death. And so every Sabbath, there was a reason before not doing ordinary work, but it, it, it was to get focused on God and look to him and ask him, you know, like whatever, what sins do I need to confess? What faith do I need to exercise? What does it take for you to deliver me 
from this death that I'm in. And so I think about this for 38 years, this guy had been sitting at that well, along with the other people that are with him saying, Lord, will you rescue me? Lord, will you rescue me? So my point is, is that when you spend every day at the, at the, at the pool saying, Lord, will you rescue me? You don't need to, to slow down once a week to say, Lord, will you rescue me? Will you give me life or thank you for the life that you have given me? You don't need that because you've been doing it for 38 years. And so back to the library deal, if someone was reading a book and they read something in that book and it was so captivating, so exciting that they couldn't help but shout hallelujah. I always tell the joke sometimes where there was this simple guy and he was reading the Bible and he saw that that um, God had, had, had took all the people of Israel and went through the Red Sea on dry land. And uh, he was like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He's like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he tells him, he says, he says, uh, well, God walked you know, all of Israel through the through dry, Red Sea on dry land. And, and the guy said, oh, well, that was only like six inches of water. That wasn't that big of a deal. And the guy was a little bummed, but he continued to read. And he said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And he said, what now? And he said, God just drowned the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water. And, and what he's, what, whatever the case, there was joy. But my point being about this text is that, that, you know, I know the text don't paint this out, but as you think through this story and the reality, you see those dynamics. You see that it probably was just, just as someone talking loud in the library um, for these people that once a week, it was their custom to say, you know, we're not doing great. We need to get back with the Lord. We need to seek his face. We need him to move in power. And they're spending that day, that Sabbath day, and they're asking God, maybe specifically to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government and the freedom again, like they once were with David. And then all of a sudden, this guy is just walking around. And I would imagine, it doesn't say in the text, but I would imagine he might have been hollering. He might have been like, what? This is awesome. I'm walking for the first time in 38 years. And he may have been disturbing some people. But um, what I, as we move on, that, that was, uh, how did I go to 14? And it just says in the, in the final part, he, he says, um, Afterward, Jesus found him in verse 14 in the temple and said to him, see, you, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told Jesus that it, uh, I'm sorry, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now. And I am working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own, his own father, making him equal with God. So right here at verses 16 to 18, we start the controversy. We start with this miracle and Jesus doing it on the Sabbath. We start the controversy of where um, the, the religious leaders are like, he has went too far. We've got to put a stop to this. So like in, in 18, it says, this was why Jesus was seeking, the, or, I'm sorry, 
This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. And it gives the two reasons here. So as we go into this next um, um, little, this part two of John, we're looking at verses 19 and 29. It's 10 verses. And then what he is going to do is he's going to talk about, he's going to talk about a work. Let me see, can I get sorted here? Um, he's going to talk about a work, a judge, an honor, and an equal. Um, he's going to talk about these terms and kind of inter, intermingle them a, a little bit. And I, I'm going to try to under, unpack. But, but one of the things that it talks about here is sometimes you hear an argument about, like, you may hear someone say something like, Jesus never said that he was God. He never claimed to be deity. Well, right here, if you do any unpacking, this is where the scholars would say, um, according, sometimes we don't see all the deity claims because we don't look at it through the, the eyes of these Jewish leaders or these Jewish people of this day. But these people that were sitting there and had their traditions and was waiting and were trying to prepare their hearts to see the Messiah step out and to, to renew them into the kingdom like David, um, they would have recognized these things and they would have known that Jesus was, was claiming much more than sometimes we think he's claiming in our, our modern context. So um, any quick thoughts before we unpack that? Um, no, everybody's good. Um, so let's look at verse 19 here. Um, and like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll try to not be too, too weird, but, but like I said, it, it overlaps some of these concepts in the way it ties it all together. But let's just deal with the first one. Um, verse 19, it says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Um, let me see. Let me read a few more texts. So, so I'm not trying to pick it apart here. Um, in verse 20, it says, For the father loves the son and shows him all himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Um, I'm going to stop with that, but I do want to read probably my favorite verse here. And I think it kind of holds and ties everything together or all the concepts that are here is in verse 26. It says, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Um, one of the things that's important, I think, to think about Jesus is, is to this realization that there is life in himself. So like, let me find the verse there. There's a verse here about eternal, eternal life. Let me see. Um, Father, let's see. Resurrection. Where's the eternal? Yeah. So in verse 24, he, so he's going to, in this paragraph right here, three times, he's going to say truly, truly which I like the way one um, narrative said uh, or commentary said is when he says truly, truly, or verily, verily, um, depending on your version, he's saying, listen up very carefully. And um, I want to say in the, in the gospel of John 25 times, 
he uses this phrase. And, and we had talked about a while back that it would be worth writing all those verses down and kind of looking at them in the context, because what Jesus is saying every time he makes those statements is that I have something really important to say to you. But here in 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has been passed from death to life. And so, um, so, so this idea of, of the son having life and him being able to give that life and, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the big picture theory that, that holds so much of the gospel together. But what I think is interesting that this text addresses, that's always been a neat topic to me, is, is framing up in our mind this pilgrimage that we have um, the, from being born again, like the John 3 um, Nicodemus story, to being united with Christ, to being resurrected in a glorified body. That that's, that's our start and our end of our Christian, you know, in our Christian life. That's the part of our life that matters. And so the term that this, this um, text uses is the, is the word, the resurrection. And so we know that Christ was resurrected and he's, he's addressing those things here, but we've also been resurrected. And so if you go back to Romans six, which I've, I've previously, uh, I've recently read, is so this idea of born again isn't internal. It's sort of an invisible, but it is a, it is a, um, it is a resurrection. It is like a first resurrection. Um, but then that's just a spiritual resurrection. But when we are, um, when we die and 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 we are united with Christ and we're given a glorified body, then that's a, a sort of second record, record resurrection, if that makes sense. And so as I, I'm just trying to put some framework, but as we read this text, he addresses that along with some other things. So in, in verse 22, uh, our, let me make sure, I'm going to just try to read it all out and we'll unpack it together. But it says, for Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, this is in 19 again, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he, he himself is doing. And greater works than this will show him so that you may marvel. So at this point, he has just healed this guy from an illness. But a lot of the, 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 the language here is alluding to John 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead. But as John has given us seven signs to frame up the big picture of the mighty work that God's doing, he's not only healing the sick, he's raising the dead. And not just like he raised Lazarus, but raising the dead in the final judgment to bring them into the glory of heaven. So those are all three pivotal, pivotal points that are being talked about here. For the father loves the son and shows him, do not marvel. So 21, for as the father raises the dead, and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son, 
does not honor the father who sent him. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but, but has passed from death to life. And then um, this last little section says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted to the son also have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and come out. Those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to resurrection of, of, of judgment. So like if you look at, what was it that? So if you look at verse 20, he's speaking about the healing of the original person. He says, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And then he says in 28, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. So that's kind of where he begins to tie in this healing of the man at the pool. And he connects it with what we'll see in John 11, the raising of, of, of Lazarus. But then as, as he's talking to Mary at that point, he's talking about, I am the resurrection. And so we see this thread of where we will actually be, you know, on the final day of the day of judgment. When he uses this language where he says um, in verse 29, and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Um, so I know I probably did a, 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 a I'm going to stop with that. I know I did a very <laughs> terrible job with that, but it is, it is a big picture idea. And it's dealing with God moving the judgment from himself to Jesus. It's, it's dealing with Jesus being equal and it's, it's dealing with him being, um, having deity, but it's, but it's also, I think the takeaway for me that I really like about the text, even though it doesn't speak to it directly, is it gives us some framework of the reality of, of these, these points in time where we're born again. And, and there's, you know, as I was meditating over this, like I said about that man, that man for 38 years had been seeking life, you know, just to be able to do the basic functions. And then God in just a word spoke life to him and that radically changed him. And that's an image of the way we are when we're born again in Christ. Um, we may not physically be laying at a well and we may not be crippled like him in that capacity, but in, in internally inside of us, we have that type, same type of death. And when God speaks to us, we are alive and we have pep in our step and, and, and we have life in us. And that's, that's that first thing. But then there will be another day where we will, we will die, but he will call us out just by his word and we'll enter in you know, to, a, to a glorified body. So he's talking about these different stages and like, I always like to, you know, he, 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 uh, th there was one word here. Let's see. 
when it says truly, truly an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Um, I don't, I don't remember if we've personally talked about Lazarus in a while, but what people have said, and I always like this, this thought is that when, when Jesus said Lazarus come out, that if he wouldn't have said Lazarus that, and he would have just said, come out, that he would have commanded every dead body in the cemetery to come out. That he'd he'd evacuated. So so there's something to think about the power of God's word that created everything. That he when when one hears his word, there is life. And what I thought about when we're evangelizing is a lot of times we try to sell Christ instead of share Christ. We 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 try to convince people to respond. To what we've responded to, but there's a difference between um, talking about Jesus, I guess, and hearing Jesus. And so this this idea to emphasize this idea that when the dead hear God command them that they come out, that they find life. And so that verse of 26, where as there's life in God, there's life in the son and he gives that life. So if you go back to that Samaritan woman where, where he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you a drink um, of living water and you would never thirst again. All of these claims come together and they add up together to mean something of great significance that that there is life in God and he into in Christ and he gives that to those that he chooses. And so we see this picture that should be our story of this man at the pool that that if we are saved, if we are born again, if we got the the life of Christ inside of us. It's because at one point he said, do you want to be healed? And he said, pick up your mat and walk in a spiritual sense. And that was our day of being born again. And we didn't know how to explain it. Jewish leaders came up to us in a sense and said, why are you carrying your mat? Why are you doing things different? Why don't you drink anymore? Why don't you cuss anymore? Why don't you look at girls and flirt with them? You know, whatever it was, but they had they saw you carrying a mat on the Sabbath in a sense and wanted to know why you're doing this. And, 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 and as I said, Jeff would say the lesser to the greater and that, and, and we sometimes we saw the blind man in John nine, we saw Moses in John one. We, we saw maybe even the woman at the, at, at the well. We don't always know when Jesus says, do you want to be well? get up and carry your mouth. When we have that experience, we don't always know what to say to the people that come and say, what's happened to you, brother? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And sometimes we say some dumb stuff and we do some dumb stuff, but, but that is that point. That's the point when we become a new creation and we walk out that pilgrimage and we get more familiar with the life that comes from the, the mouth of God. And we, we, we learn to eat from his bread and, and drink of his wine. And, and we, we learn to, to let the spirit lead us and guide us. But there's a day coming where we will die. And, and just like Lazarus, we will be dead in the tomb, but he will command us to come forth and, 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 and even, and if we, you know, the sad part that I'm not addressing, but is that there will be people that will reject God and they will be 
resurrect it to condemnation, which the text talks about at the end of the paragraph there. But we don't always have text that comes back and reminds us that a day is coming where all men will be judged and some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. And um, so I'll stop with that. Um, I knew this would kind of be a hard text. I, I, I want you to know I did actually study, you know, over five hours to try to sort through this, but there's just so much here. Um, so I, I apologize for not being super organized and having a little bit simple, simpler thing. But, um, but hopefully I at least engaged you enough in your mind to take this paragraph and, um, and realize that, that it's a, it's a key transitional time. Jesus is starting to talk about some super significant issues and he's getting a lot of pushback from the Jewish leaders, um, in it, but this will continue as we go through the next few chapters. Uh, next week will be simpler where he's talking about the people that witness to his authority, but what y'all's thoughts this morning on some of that, anything that sticks out? Uh, just if you go back to the original, how it all, the death to life thing started, and you go back to very Genesis 17, 2.17, when, when God tells Adam, because Eve wasn't even created yet, he just tells Adam, um, you know, if you eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So that was the immediate spiritual death for Adam and Eve, and then an eventual physical death and so we're all born in the spiritual death from the get-go and we'll eventually have the, the physical death as we age or, or whatever happens and I think it's kind of interesting too if you move ahead to um to first Peter 3 in, in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 when he talks about um He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently on Noah. And it talks about it a little bit more in uh, chapter four. Um, when he says, uh, but they will have to give an account to him who, and ready, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the gospel preached even to those who are now dead. So they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live. And, and some people say that, well, he just talked, they're just talking about spiritual dead, but I think it's pretty obvious there. And in the, the, the second part, uh, the latter part of five that you were reading that he's talking about those that are already physically dead are included in part of this as well. He's talking about, you know, the spiritual death of people he's, that are physically alive with him now, but he's also alludes to the, to those that have died already. Where are you looking at that? Um, that's in First Peter um, three eighteen, and then also in four. Um, around four, five, and six. So those are just ones you can kind of tie in with this. Yeah, I always like to tie in different scriptures from different books that all kind of relate to the same topic that we're studying yeah what you think mr wayne um 
Nothing I can share right now. What kind of door is that behind you? That's the outside door? Or that's... Yeah, it's back door of the house. Mike, you, you still with us? Are you out of pocket? I don't know how he makes that screen that black. He must just have no picture. It looks almost like my my um, chalk. I, I didn't even know he was in there. I thought he was just kind of, I got to see his name, man. Yeah, he said he was going to be doing something else and try to listen in. So, yeah, I'm listening in. Um, I really don't have anything else to add. It's a pretty deep discussion there, you know. Hard to, um, uh, definitely hard to listen in and contribute when I'm doing other things. So, yeah. Well, and, and, I, I, I knew, like I said, I was studying this and, and I knew it was going to be challenging and something that always throws me off. Like I, th I think first John was the hardest book that I ever talked from is uh, I appreciate when it just like follows a logical uh, um, sequence of events. Um, but what I feel like is, is, you know, in one sense, this little paragraph is actually bridging the healing to what he's going to say next week about the witness. So there's that going on, but it's also bridging all these kind of things. I mean, when you're talking about, when you're talking about it's, it's, it's in one sense talking about all that goes along with being born again. And it's also talking about all that goes along with the resurrection of, of the dead. And, and, and in the midst of that, it's, it's actually claiming that Jesus is God. You know, um, I, you know, I, I looked through a lot of little neat, neat little things. Um, let me see if I can get to that. I looked at a, not, a lot of little different things where it pointed out things that we don't necessarily think of. Um, but let me see if I can tell you, like one of the things it said was it says that the, that the Jews held a tradition that there were three keys that only God himself held um, to open. And it was the key to open heavens and give rain. So they felt like only God can give rain. So like, if you think about Elijah withholding the rain, there was some stuff with that, but the other one was the key to open the womb. So you think about um, Sarah and Elizabeth and Rachel, all these different times where women couldn't, couldn't have children, but they did. And, and it was a blessed child. Um, and then the other one was the key to, to raise the dead. And so this narrative really elaborated into the fact that when Jesus, like we're not seeing much into it, when Jesus starts talking about he, he has the power to raise them from the dead, but for them, that would have been the guy talking in the library concept that that would have been, Oh no, you went, you know, you went too far. Um, let me try to think. There was a couple other ones. Um, is the judge, the Orthodox Jew, Jehovah God, was the judge of the earth. So just like these three, key, three keys that were anchored truths that only God can do this. And now this newcomer is coming on the scene and saying he can raise um, the dead. Um, when he starts talking about um, judging, um, that he's going to be the judge and that God is giving him the ability to be um, to, to judge. That's a claim to deity. So th there's certain little things here. Um, um, when he talks about honor um, was another thing. Um, 
they were very particular about um, that, that you, you only honor God. So like sometimes in our day, we get um, exercised about, um, about the Catholics worshiping Mary or saints, you know, which they call that venetrating saints or something of that nature. But, but when he makes this claim that he will judge and that if you don't honor the son, which we read it kind of like, we kind of read it a lot of times, like if they would have had spiritual discernment, like he's going to say um, next week, he's going to say, if you would have believed what Moses wrote, you would believe me because he wrote about me. He says later on, he says, if you love the father, you would love me because you would see that I'm of the same nature of the father. So he's saying, you really don't know the father. You don't know his nature. So you can't see that I'm his messenger. And so um, in a discerning sense, we see that and we pick that up. But for them, you know, it says, that Jesus was a, you know, as a chief cornerstone and the gospel of Christ crucified was a stumbling block for the Jews. Well, a lot of that was because of these things. They had these go-to thoughts that what Jesus was doing was like talking loud in the library and all they could immediately instinctively from the hip do is say, we've got to stop this. He's messing up the order that we're accustomed and we're used to. And so, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, it's sort of to read this text. I mean, at some point we have to submit ourselves to the text and kind of see the, you know, what was getting them so upset and exercise. Um, and, and, and some of these things are, are those, those different things. So um, anyway, I don't know if I've made that any more, <laughs> but uh, so how, how are y'all doing? Um, uh, Everybody's doing good. Any prayer requests or anything? I just continue to pray for my sister. She's going to have her, um, uh, she's got breast cancer for the second time on the other side. And um, uh, three of my five sisters have had breast cancer. Um, but I think it's November. It's one of the first week or so in November. I can't remember the exact date, but she's going to have a, uh, a lump lumpectomy and then they got to take something, I guess maybe some uh, lymph node samples or something. And then probably start radiation treatment from there too. Um, and what exact date. Huh? What's her name? Kathy. 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 And she's what, about three, three years older than me. And what was the date? You don't know. It's, it's, a, it's in November. Yeah, my aunt went through the first week last week of her November 4th. November 4th. My aunt went through the first week of her her treatment. And um they're expecting it to be I want to say painful. Um some of the healing and all that with that. So yeah, we've heard um we so we homeschool and um they uh what do they call it it's not fca but chef is what christian whatever chef stands for fellowship christian homeschool uh, i don't know but it's it's the homeschool fellowship group but anyway the guy has like 10 kids and he's been overseeing that for a while him and his family and um 
I don't think you guys know Clay um, Furlow, um, Clay and Christy Furlow, but um, but Clay had three kids. We, we Clay and Christy got married like right at right at the same time. We me me and Shay when we met at Healing Place, we met Clay and Christy. They every, a couple a lot of couples got married at the same time, but they got um, they got married and then another couple got married. Well. Clay got a brain tumor in his in his head and and died and then um um Johnny which was his good friend we all got married at the same time his wife was Roxanne that got um what do they call it the I think it's that muscular dy dystrophy where they they lose the one that do, they they do the walk for all the time but she she died from that. And, you know, that was a three or four journey, three or four year journey where she just couldn't function, you know, as, 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 as normal. But, um, but anyway, this guy that I'm telling you that's over the homeschool and, you know, in the Baton Rouge area, um, he's got 10 kids and they just found he's got that and they're giving him, you know, no more than five years to live. And, um, you know, they're, they're a one income family and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, surely, there's some big yeah, well, he's got muscular dystrophy or no he has um so some kind brain of aggressive brain tumor that they don't they don't have a lot of like like my brother-in-law they're fixing it they'll get it they'll get another mri with him and um they want to say that his is not as bad as this like it's not as aggressive but all they can do is do mris and watch it and i think that's what my wife said he was able to do the chemo this last little time through pills, I guess. Um, but then they maybe a step up is they put a port in them. And I guess the port is they're doing IV chemo or something like that. But uh, anyway, so yeah, we definitely need to remember our loved ones that are sick, you know, and you said, Mr. Wayne, it was your brother. That's not looking as young as he, he should. <laughs> He he's not aging well. No, no not aging gracefully. So uh, still struggling against it. Bro. I did I didn't make it. I didn't feel right about it because of the nature of the text of what they were doing. But this last Saturday, um, I had my 30 year reunion. Um, they had had it here in Denham, and um, but that was the whole story of how is people aging? You know, that was the the fix. <laughs> that was the fixation. You know. They, they had some funny sayings. They was like, um, what did they say? Fat fat straightens out wrinkles or something like that. They were saying. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I was amazed. I chose not to go. There was a couple other different reasons, but um, but it's a, it's amazing. You know, you think at 30 years later people would grow up, but uh, you know, my 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 idea of of, of friendship and, and reunion is not drinking and dancing and acting a fool. It's up. It's up. What always amazes me is like so many people you went to school. There's a handful of them you went like maybe from first grade on to senior year. With majority of them, you probably met in eighth grade, ninth grade, and knew them mm -hmm. through high school. So you you were around them. Like here I am. I'm fixing to turn sixty. And a lot of these people at the class reunion that bug you about not going, which I went to a bunch of them, but I hadn't gone to the last few. Um, you know, they make a big deal of it, but I mean, I, I've, I've had, I've been alive for 60 years and 
the vast majority of those people I spent four or five years of those 60 years with. Yeah. And all the friends that I hang around with now that, you know, a lot, most of them I didn't go to school with, I've been hanging around with, you know, through church and other activities for, you know, 15, 20 years now. Yeah, you know, I, I just never really, if you think about it, why, why is it, I guess it's a, a watershed moment when you graduate from high school where you come from, you know, being a kid to being an adult. So that makes it kind of special. But a lot of those people, you really, um, most of us probably spent just a real small fraction of our life with. Mm-hmm. What's the big deal, really, you know? Yeah. And that's what, and that's what I think is different is, is that you did spend time with them and you do, you do, you do bring up a good point that, that if you've been in church, you spent more time with a lot of those people, but it just, it amazes me how, how the, the norm can be. We just drink and cuss and, and smoke and act like fools. You know I mean? Like at what point do we evolve? out of that you know and like i asked when i when they asked me to it i i said are we are we eating together was you know <laughs> breaking bread right i said are, are we gonna have a meal together and he's like he said um um no that's on you <laughs> and, and like i remember my grandpa put a reunion together like they it was like a like i don't know if it was 50 years but it but he got about 12 people that they graduated with and and i think they had never had a reunion and that he put it together, but they just, they went and had a meal together. And I'm like, I would be up for that. Let's, let's go have a meal together and let's, let's, let's don't judge each other about how, let's don't make it about how successful or how many, cause it, like, just where are you at in the life? You know, you know, how many kids you have? Well, you know, how has that worked out for you? You know, and it just, just be caring to one another. But I guess, uh, you know, we, we can never be thankful enough for the unity that we find in Christ, that the affection and love and the family relationship that we find in Christ. And um, I guess there's no hope for unregenerated relationships to, to reach, to reach that level. You know, uh, if it sounds like a depraved relationship, it probably is because you're leaving Christ out of it, you know? And, and like, I have a buddy I grew up with that was involved in that that back in the day when we were in high school, we would go out and party on Saturday night and then we'd go to church on Sunday. And, um, and, and I, in my twenties left that behind, I, you know, I, I wasn't going to straddle the fence. I mean, I'm either in with God or in with the world and to see someone 30 years later, still, you know, finding a way to justify that lifestyle is, is, is nuts to me, you know, <laughs> so, Pray for the class of, of 92 and, and y'all's classes, you know, too. But uh, but good seeing y'all this morning. Um, like I said, I remember my little daughter, she needs to break some fever. Um, so we got that going on. Um, but how, old is, how old is your youngest? That's what I was trying to think. I, I've, I've considered her 10, but I don't think she's become 10. So she, I, I believe here in the 27th, she was born in um, 12. So this would be 2212. Yes. Yeah, so she'll be 10 this December 27th. So she's still nine. But uh but yeah, she's she's something. She's pitiful. <laughs> she, she's she's pitiful, sick kid. <laughs> but uh yeah, I'm gonna go in there and help her with uh help Shay. And um it was good seeing y'all this morning. Uh, I'll be more prepared next week. I really did try to be prepared this week. It, it was kind of tough to, to prepare for it for some reason, but um, but uh, I'm looking forward to. I've enjoyed this journey, huh? 
What'd you say? We had a meeting earlier. That's the important thing. Yeah. Um, Mr. Wayne, you want to close this in prayer? Yeah, I meant that part about uh, your daughter being sick. So, uh, yes, let's start our prayer with those that we love. And Lord, those that we love and are close to us, please answer our prayers of recovery and uh, a touch of their heart to, by you to reassure us that you are with us. Thank you for this meeting. Thank you for this reflection on your word and who Jesus, who you really are. Help us to pour it into our hearts and rearrange our, our thinking and our feelings and help us to grow knowing that you are there with us. Lead us throughout the week and into next week where we meet again to under, further under our understanding and further our faith. I thank you for this time with my brother, and I, I really look forward to being with you all the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys have a good week. All right. Tell me if you need anything. Have a good night.